So it sounds like um, everyone's got a really big problem. The biggest problem. The the biggest problem. Such so big a problem that, like you said, it's affected everything. The universe <coughs> is broken. Totally. Totally. So how do we? Well, here is I want to talk about this for a minute. Here is how we become practically against this. Even though there are many people, you don't have to be a Presbyterian to believe this. I mean, they're Baptists, they're even, you know, Methodist, you name it. There are all kinds of people, (laughs) there are all kinds of people who believe this, who would, who would say they may balk at the term total depravity, but when you explain it, you know, we're all sinners, we've all fallen under the curse, or if you just straight up read the Bible to them, they would be like, oh yes, I believe that. But when you look at their methods of evangelism, when you look at the things that they say from the pulpit or from the bench at the mall where they've cornered you awkwardly, <laughs> then they they become practically against this because they put all of their stock in convincing you. All of their stock is put in convincing you to get saved. And their biggest their biggest seller is heaven. Which is so sad. Like they try to sell you heaven as though Jesus is not enough. And as though you're the one that they need to convince. Instead of realizing that they're talking to a dead person and they need the spirit of God. They need the wind to blow on those dead bones, those dry bones, for there to be a resurrection. How many people go into those corner corner you back you into a corner evangelistic moments just armed with whatever method they just learned in Sunday school not even thinking twice about I should have been praying about this a long time ago I should have been bathing this in prayer I don't know this person they don't have a stamp on their forehead that says God is definitely going to save them today we'll talk about that later but <laughs> I mean, you don't know. You don't know what God is going to do with that person. And he's the one that matters because that person that you're talking to is dead. Or they may already be converted and you're just assuming and judging them. That's happened before. So their evangelistic strategy is totally person-centered. Which goes against what we believe fundamentally. We believe that it is Christ who atones for us. It is the Spirit who regenerates us. That we we receive that grace. We don't enact that grace. We don't originate that grace. We don't have that kind of authority. So our, our method of evangelism should be with that understanding. We should be, how many hours are we spending in prayer for this person to be converted? But that won't fit on the track. You, you go to evangelism trainings and they don't, uh, I don't want to make a blanket statement, I, I hope some of them do, but for the most part, the this simple catchy little acronym that will help you lead somebody to Christ, they don't say before you open your mouth, you need to be in your prayer closet or your prayer 
couch area, wherever it is you happen to pray. Continually. Yeah. Before you open your mouth and try to talk that person into something, you should be praying and begging the Spirit of God to change their hearts. Because here's here's the worst that could happen. Here's the worst thing that could happen. And I've had this happen in my life, and it will haunt me for the rest of my life. Because this person is dead now. There was a boy that I cornered into a conversation when I was in middle school. I cornered him into that conversation about Jesus. I thought I was doing God's work. I thought I was making Jesus proud. Me and a bunch of my friends, we surrounded him. We essentially bullied him. He was just he was just drinking his coke on the playground. And we surrounded him. And we told him, we told him he needed to accept Jesus. Like right then. And we weren't leaving until he did. So he did. He repeated the prayer that we told him to repeat. And what haunts me to this day, and I don't know, because I didn't know this kid. Not really. He was in my class. I didn't know him. What haunts me to this day is I wonder if that, if that boy who grew into a man, I wonder if he thought he was okay with Jesus because of what I did. And that's my own depravity thinking that I had the power to convert him not realizing that that's what the Spirit does. So that's why we have to understand that the person we're talking to is not actually the person that can accomplish what we're hoping to see accomplished there. They're the person that's benefiting from what we hope to see accomplished when we evangelize. So if we're begging someone regarding evangelism, it should be God that we're begging. If we are tarrying, one more verse, one more verse, how many times have you heard that at the altar call in a revival service? One more verse, just one more verse. How many times do we say one more hour? Let me pray for one more hour for this person's salvation. So not to make that too heavy, but... Yeah. I have to wonder if, and surely this isn't always the case, or at least it's not cognitively the case, but if our efforts in evangelism aren't centered around pleas to God and asking for the Holy Spirit to move and regenerate someone could it be us operating selfishly to feel that we're doing good or to feel that we're winning souls for our own pride we're fueling our own ego and we're not actually doing the work of God and the Holy Spirit because did I not prophesy in your name yeah cast out got all these people to repent quote-unquote in your name yeah and I think that's an important conversation we need to have as a as a church as a whole especially in quote-unquote our side of things the reformed leaning side of things because we 
sometimes don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough, but everything centers on God and all persons of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, our work, any good work, any truly good work that we do is of the Spirit. And we need to be begging for that. Right. Even in the phrase that we use, which which you used it, and I, I know that you don't use it like from a place of, I know you're just using it because it's colloquial, soul winning. Like, like we're like we're winning their souls. Like it's not Mortal Kombat, <laughs> but first of all, winning like like it's a competition. Like it built into that language is that we're counting, that there's a score. And I know some people they talk about it. They're they're battling the devil. You know, like oh well I'm. I'm going to beat the devil. I'm winning these souls. He can't have them. Well, that's also important to understand, too. The devil doesn't get souls. That's not his place. Yeah, we're, you're not being saved from the devil. No. You're being saved from God's wrath that will be poured out on you for an eternity. I think that that way of looking at things, as far as, like, with, with you're talking about with Satan and everything, I think that's really really carried over a lot from Catholicism honestly it's a very like medieval Catholic view that it's like Jesus versus Satan and it's like no it really is it's like what you're saying it really is you're not the worst thing that can happen to you is you and is not you and Satan get locked up in somewhere and he has free reign because he has free reign technically to a certain extent over the world now he's I mean or does he well well to you, be continued right I mean you, 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 but you get what I'm saying like demonic forces are at work now here um, and so it's not like you're saying it's not that that's the worst thing it really is the wrath of God yeah. right he's the one that with which all men will yeah, have to reckon with it's us versus Jesus not Jesus versus and we've devil. and we've done that we've declared our rebellion against him. It's not that he just all of a sudden was like, well, I'm going to hate you. It's not that. It's like we we failed in the covenant of works that he set up with Adam and Eve. And isn't that depraved of us to create... One might say totally. Yeah. <laughs> to create that diversion to say, oh no, we're not the enemy. The devil is yeah. the enemy. It's like, no, the devil is an enemy of God the same way that you are. Yeah. We're, we're the same. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. We're really just on equal footing. Yeah. We're both rebellious beings against uh, all, right. the holy creator of all things. Right. And we're both receiving the same punishment from the same God. Right. So. Are we not ourselves, Satan? Well, doesn't is that what you're saying? Isn't it Jesus <laughs> that says, like, you're of your father, the devil? Right. Oof. I mean, can you imagine being told that by Jesus? Yeah. I've blown back like Snape. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Like, you're of your father, the devil. Right. And so it totally flips on... on Because there are a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, and not even, you know, Satan versus God, and it's not even... 
that it's like we're talking about even power necessarily. Right. I mean, we are talking about power, but it's like obviously God's in a league of his own. He's the supreme creator. I mean, if anything, it would be Satan versus the archangel or something, and they might be comparable in power in actual like if we're talking about that but it's like you're getting off on all kinds of crazy weird like something that's better probably left to a, a novel you know uh, we don't I don't want to talk about I have, I have that novel the, prin- the prince of Persia and all that stuff I was delayed and I was thinking about left behind but no no I'm talking um, about yeah no. I think it's it's telling that he's referred to as um The great tempter, because he—that's—that's that's all he does. That's all Satan does. That's all demons do. Is they tempt, but the depravity is within us. Right. Like we're the ones that are willingly tempted and succumb to that temptation. So he really has no power over us. The fault is within ourselves, and he just kind of was like, "Hey, yeah. let me yeah, let me that, see let me show you that, what's inside you and let you." With that train of thought, it's like, was that the same for Adam and Eve? I was about to ask that, but I felt that would take up so much I time. Know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Nothing changes. Yeah. So was it all planned? Hmm. Question mark. Um, so, uh, does anybody have anything else they would like to add before we move on? There was another thing I was going to say. Alright, cool. Carry on. But I have forgotten. Oh, oh. No. I apologize. Yeah. Give me moments. Okay. Okay. So this could be dead um, air. Well, no, I have something. <laughs> yeah, I don't want it to be dead air. Okay, cool. Um, so we're going back to uh, evangelizing and uh, all that good stuff that Dusty said earlier. Um. So if there there are definitely a bunch. Of places out there, who, and if all people are totally depraved, there's a bunch of places out there who've never the gospel has never reached. So those, obviously, you know, if we believe this, then that means those people they die and they go to hell, like period. Like there's no unless Jesus visits them in a dream or something, which happens. Well, that's a good point, and I was just talking about this point earlier. So the, I mean, not to get too deep into that, because that could be another five hours, but <laughs> the fundamental understanding is they have they have no merit on their own. That has to be the case. There are no innocent people. There are no people who will wrongfully go to hell. There are no innocent people. The only hope for them is the same hope that any of us have um now is it possible for Christ to appear to him is it possible for Christ to move in their hearts absolutely he does what he wants Paul right I mean there are moments in scripture when there seems to be so many things that stood in the way of someone hearing the message of Christ that Jesus just kind of interrupted, interrupted nature if he needed to, to get that right there. You know, Jesus himself will just show up. So I, I don't think scripturally we can rule that out. 
all I can say definitively is that it, anybody in that situation is saved the same way that any any of the rest of us are saved, and that is through the grace and mercy of Christ. And <clears throat> I do believe that somewhere in there there is a fundamental understanding of God and of Christ and of that atonement and of their sin and their need for a savior. Um, this is kind of chasing a rabbit hole, uh, so I apologize. But um, on the topic of like the dreams, we often hear from missionaries that this is happening a lot in the Middle East right now. Um, Muslims getting dreams and visions of Jesus and converting. Um, I recently heard, I can't remember where, and if I could, I probably wouldn't say, but I recently heard someone make the argument that, like, yes, this is happening, um, but these people are also knowing and are also aware of the gospel beforehand. So they're not being saved by dreams and visions. It is necessary that they heard the gospel, and then what they have heard is being testified as true by dreams and visions. Um, do you think that's necessarily the path in which that takes, or can someone have a dream or vision of Jesus without hearing the gospel and come to salvation that way? Well, that's a deep and complicated thing. So the simple answer is I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm prone to say that I don't I don't ever want to say what Jesus will do. Right. And and that he he does not need us to present the gospel. However, he does most often choose to use us, and that's that's as specific as I can be. Yeah. And commands us to. Yeah. Like period. <laughs> yeah. Regardless, we're commanded. So, and and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get down to the other letters, but. Here's, I remembered the thing that I forgot. You know, speaking about Satan um, not being the, that, that ultimate thing that we should be afraid of. You know, it's God's wrath that, that fuels hell. It's God's wrath that's created hell. Uh, not Satan. Satan didn't create hell. He is... He is its chief uh, occupant. Wait, so he's not down there like with a pitchfork. Pitch no. What? But how often, though, do we say? How often do we have those moments when we say, "Not today, Satan." You know, not today, Satan. But do we ever say, "Not today, me"? <laughs> Get behind me, me. Yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> that that's. That's what we have to be well, more worried about. It's it's telling. I mean, you said get behind me, me, but it's telling that Jesus was talking to was Peter, right? And he said that to Peter, right? Yeah, get thee behind me, Satan, mm -hmm. talking to Peter. Right. So it's just like get me, get get thee behind me, me is really. I mean, yeah. I um, recently learned that the common depiction of Satan is the red guy with a pitchfork and a silly tail and horns um, didn't originate as like this belief that this is what Satan looked like, that this is what Lucifer looked like. Um, I believe it was like the medieval church. They believed that um, Satan's biggest 
insecurity was to be made a fool of. And so as a weaponization to fight the devil, the devil, they created this, this faux representation of him to make him look like this silly, ridiculous being. Right. I think they, I've read. I think I've read about that. Before. I would argue that they did a lot more harm than good. Probably because, like, oh, yeah, you're just silly, Satan. I mean, again, he's not the one that we need to be afraid of or anything, but he is a powerful being. Well, and a lot of um, unreligious folks use that as a point of contention. Be like, oh, you believe in some silly red guy down in the ground? Yeah. You know. Yeah, we should not under understate. The power of Satan. He does have power. In fact, Ephesians two again. You know that they are under the power of the, the prince of the power of the air, and so he does have power. It's just not. It, it's nothing compared to the power of Christ, um, and it is also limited, which is a topic for another discussion. But I'm just not damning. He doesn't have damning power. Right. He's he does not have that power. And that's a cultural thing that I think he has a hand in. I think he has a hand in creating that culture because if we are so concerned about escaping him, we lose sight of the fact that it's God's wrath we ought to fear. Which and is which is already a problem. Like that's already that's what that whenever Paul talks about by our unrighteousness we suppress the truth right whenever he's talking about that like we know God in a, in a certain sense he talks about the creation and like he talks about in Romans 2 about you know having the law written upon our hearts without knowing the actual like Old Testament law or whatever we, we have the law of God like we know we have a conscience like we there's to some <coughs> degree we know there is someone and so it's like you to suppress that truth is the problem. It's because of our unrighteousness. And then, in, and also in, in Romans two, when he when Paul stops talking about uh, the supposedly like irreligious people or the the pagan people, and he rounds sort of on the the Jewish listeners that would have been listening to him or, or reading that letter, he starts talking about the self righteous, which is also everybody, but. I mean that's basically what he's saying is is like do you suppose like do you presume on the the riches of his kindness that he, you know that you're going to somehow escape judgment right. because you're and he, you know he was just talking about those people judging himself and he's like do you suppose that you are going to somehow get out of it I'm talking about you <laughs> exactly I mean he pull, I mean yes Paul Paul, 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 Paul Washer in reverse. Paul, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. exactly what <laughs> That's how it that properly yeah. goes. Paul wasn't a Zionist? What? Paul was I'm going to say this one time. No. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say Wait, about the that. the Jewish people don't get a special pass? Okay, so that's another day. We are, we are all, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and we are all sinners. But there is a chosen people. So before we leave this uh, subject, there is another thing that I want to add because addendum. Yes, addendum. Um, because we also neglect this doctrine of total depravity when we blame Satan 
And if we're if we're not careful, I mean, yes, he is the tempter, he is the enemy, he's the accuser of the bre the brethren. There are things that he does, and his demons do. I mean, they do work things. So yes, there are things that can be blamed blamed on him. But if if we're not careful, if we don't if we don't rein that in and and control it, then we get the idea that whoever is in hell is because Satan tricked them into being there. And that's not the case at all. I mean, yes, he does deceive and he does trick, but we're if, if someone is in hell, if someone is totally um, doomed by the wrath of God, if they're sent out of the presence of God, it's not because they were tricked, it's not because they were duped. It's because they have earned that, and, and we all have earned that. We all, because of our internal, total, radical depravity, we have earned the wrath of God. Not because we were tricked, not because we were swindled into it. So we have to be very careful with our language about that. Satan is a tricker. He is a swindler. But he does not have that kind of power to ultimately damn us to hell. We do that ourselves. We are the enemy. He is an enemy, but we are the enemy. So that is our that is our total depravity. That it is we who have done this to ourselves. Amen.